You're listening to a sermon podcast from Agape Baptist Church, recorded live from our Sunday service. Good morning, church. The scripture reading is taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verses 1 to 4 and verses 8 to 11. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations, and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the rope of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. This is the word of the Lord. The Lord bless you, church. Uh, if you're new to our church, we want to give you a special agape welcome. You should have received a visitor's card uh, on your seat, so you could just scan the QR code on screen. Uh, it's also on screen. Uh, we would love to give you a free book and connect with you further as well. Now, today I am giving the second sermon uh, on the two-part sermon series on true justice flourishing relationships. Last Sunday, you heard me talk about restorative justice, and that it involves equal treatment, special concern for the vulnerable, as well as generosity. That's from Isaiah 58. And today, we turn to Isaiah 61. Now, once again, at the onset, I want to reiterate this challenge I issued last Sunday, which is that you obey what God is calling you specifically in terms of doing justice in a restorative way. You want to be a doer of God's Word, not just a hearer of God's Word. Now, of course, church-wise, we do have programs and outreaches that we mobilize everyone to be involved in. We've done that for the migrant workers in dormitory. We've done that for Bikyo. Beyond Singapore, we've done that for recently the afflicted in India. And of course, for years, we've been reaching out to Timor-Leste, to Shalom School, Next Sunday, you will hear a sermon as well from our dear Elder Tom on this. And we will continue 
to trumpet this call at a corporate level, church level, for every member in our church, for everyone to be involved. But, having said that, there's also a place for God to reveal to us how we can do justice in specific ways that He's directing to us individually. Or maybe in small groups with a few other people. Uh, not everyone in church will be doing the same thing, right? There might not even be a call at the church level to help this particular category of people, but maybe you feel stirred, maybe even surprisingly drawn to it and didn't expect it. And that could be God's Spirit calling you to action. Now, one of the biggest obstacles, though, to justice, doing of justice, is the obstacle of the heart. Most of us recognize that doing justice is good, but it feels like a lot of work, a lot of sacrifice. It's like, you know, it's a good thing, but it's Christian duty. Like, I know I should do it, but I don't really feel like doing it, but getting myself involved. It's like I lack the motivation or maybe even fearful of what it would cost me. Now, do you know what would help you and me to not just recognize that justice, doing justice is important, but it's actually desirable? It's desirable. Desirable in such a way that we want to do it. Well, the answer for us is to see justice, specifically restorative justice, as beautiful, truly beautiful, amazingly beautiful, extraordinarily beautiful. Now, how do we get there? To God's Word, Isaiah 61. Now, here's what I'm going to do today. I'm inviting you to discover the beauty of justice in the following ways. The richness of the gospel, Number two, the heart of God's love. Number three, the reality of your life. So discover the beauty of justice in the richness of the gospel, the heart of God's love, and the reality of your life. Now firstly, the richness of the gospel. Now if you ask people what the gospel is, you are bound to get a variety of different responses. But the most common response will probably revolve around being saved by God, being forgiven of our sins to Jesus' death and resurrection, or being justified, declared righteous before God by grace through faith. That is the gospel. Now, all of that is true. But here's the thing, and I tell you, very few people actually will define the gospel, the good news, in a way that captures what, what's happening in Isaiah 61 that you just heard. If you didn't know, Isaiah is the most quoted prophetic book in the New Testament. The four gospel writers draw richly from Isaiah. With regard to the gospel, specifically when you hear Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you would hear varying forms of the term gospel or gospelized, like proclaim the gospel. The very same idea that was first emphasized in Isaiah. But in Isaiah, you will find that the term good news is richer than what many people, even Christians, think. Now, here's what the good news or gospel means in Isaiah, and actually agreed upon by the New Testament authors. Super important. The gospel is the message of God's comprehensively restorative kingdom. The gospel is the message of God's comprehensively restorative kingdom. To God's oppressed people, needy people, afflicted people, the good news has come. Now, clearest example of the gospel tied to God's reign is in Isaiah 52. Let me read this for you. Isaiah 52, 7. 
How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now think about this. Agape is a gospel-centered church. And that means we are a church that declares the good news that our God reigns. We are a church that emphasizes that our God reigns over the whole earth. Now, what does this have to do with the beauty of justice? Everything. Because as long as we continue to think that the gospel just means getting people to believe in Jesus, die, and then go to heaven justified and forgiven, we are missing out on the beauty of justice. Right? The beauty of justice is found in the richness of the gospel. It's not a view of the gospel that limits what's good to eternal life in heaven. Not just that. But a profoundly rich view of the gospel that has huge implications as we live out the abundance of the gospel of eternal life here as sojourners from earth to heaven. Now, the gospel books teach us that our God reigns. The kingdom of God has come. Or if you remember Mark, it says, the gospel of the kingdom. That's how he put it. The gospel declares that the restorative reign of a God is our king has come, and God's kingdom plans includes restorative justice. Now, this is different from what our world does because our doing of justice begins with the gospel. When our doing of justice flows out from the appreciation of the gospel, the motivation is different. Because we are doing justice as the citizens of God's kingdom. In other words, we are living out the gospel as we do justice. In fact, as Christians, when we do justice because of the gospel, it is actually a sign that we have come to properly appreciate the richness of the gospel. If not, perhaps in our minds, we might actually have an impoverished gospel. Now, let me show you how the richness of the gospel is fleshed out at the start of Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 2. Now, the person that is speaking, contextually speaking, uh, in here, is the servant of the Lord. Isaiah has already mentioned much of this man, the servant of the Lord, in the preceding chapters. But here is the voice of this servant speaking, proclaiming good news. And he says this, Isaiah 61, verse 1 to 2. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me. To do what? To bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Let me stop here. Now, I want you to notice this. This servant of the Lord is not just saying he's bringing good news generically to everyone. We might have preferred that. Like, the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to everyone and anyone. Now, of course, in one sense, that is perfectly true, right? That would have sounded very inclusive, and that's true. But if we say that and never properly ever learn to say we are bringing good news to the poor, we actually are missing out on the richness of the gospel. Now, here this anointed servant is specifically directing the good news to the poor, the brokenhearted, the captives, those who are bound, and he says, God's favor is upon them. In his original context, all these metaphors here in verse 1 and 2, 
they actually point to the oppressed condition of Israel. So this servant of the Lord is saying, this good news is good news for the people of God who have been oppressed because they will experience afresh God's restorative reign over them. Now the text here in Isaiah does go on to talk about God's retributive justice. That's at the end of verse 2. It says that is this day of the vengeance of our God. But the emphasis here is primarily God's restorative justice. And that's what we get from this text, which is cited actually, if you're familiar with that, it's cited in the New Testament, Luke chapter 4. On this Sabbath day, Jesus comes into this scene in a synagogue in Nazareth. Now, a synagogue is a Jewish place for people to worship and gather for religious instruction. And everyone is looking at Jesus that particular day. He stands up ready to do the reading for the day. And a scroll of Isaiah is passed to him. Text tells us Jesus Christ unrolls the scroll and he turns to this section in Isaiah 61. And he reads the text essentially from verses 1 to 2. In his reading that day, he adds a line on the recovering of sight to the blind. Now, interestingly, Jesus, when he reads verses 1 to 2, he doesn't say anything about God's vengeance. And that is because that is not what he has come to do in his first coming. God's vengeance will come later. Instead, Jesus ends on a very positive note. He says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And after that, he rolls up the scroll and then he gives it back to the attendant and he sits down. Now, at that time, everybody is still staring at him. And then he says this, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, do you realize what Jesus is saying? He is saying that He is the servant of the Lord mentioned in Isaiah. He is the one who has come to proclaim this good news and bring restoration to the oppressed. And then at that exact point, Luke tells us that the people in Nazareth listening to Jesus, they marveled, those were the words, marveled at the gracious words that were coming from His mouth. And Jesus does not just talk only. Anybody can also say what they want. But he goes on to prove that he is indeed the one because when you read Luke chapter 4, you will see that in the rest of Luke chapter 4, we see this immediate fulfillment. We see him preaching good news to the poor. We see him freeing prisoners oppressed by Satan. We see him healing the sick. You know, it's so important for us to realize that all these metaphors, poor, captives, bound or blind, etc., they don't just represent oppression and affliction at a spiritual level. They are physical too. Uh, Two Bible commentators, G.K. Beale and D.A. Carson, they wrote a commentary and they provided a really good insight on the use of Isaiah 61 in Luke chapter 4. They look at the way Jesus actualizes the words in Isaiah 61 in His ministry and they say that it's obvious. It's more than just spiritual. Concretely, it means when the term the poor is used, they don't just symbolize Israel in oppression, suffering in its original context in Isaiah. They actually also mean those without means, those who are poor physically, and those who are outcasts in general. And when it talks about those who are blind, similarly, now you can represent, symbolize those without salvation. We're familiar with that. You're blind that you cannot see the truth of God. But it also refers to those who are actually visually, physically impaired with disabilities. 
the proclaiming of liberty, this release, it refers to the freedom from the power of Satan. But it also refers to the literal release from debts, financial debts, right? Physical. It's both spiritual and physical. You probably have heard of the Beatitudes in the Gospel books. Most people remember the Matthew version of it, not so much the Luke version. But it's good to remember both. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, in the Beatitudes, Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And in Luke 6, 20, Jesus is quoted as saying, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Now, sometimes people reading the gospel books look at this and wonder, who are the blessed ones? Does Jesus mean those who are poor in spirit? Right? It's a spiritual thing. Or is it those who are physically, materially poor? You know what's the answer to that? It's both. It's both. It's not like Luke was lazy and forgot to write poor in spirit, right? Omitted those two words. And then he tells you, like, you go and read Matthew for the right interpretation of how to read this text. How to understand the Beatitudes. No. Together, Matthew and Luke are telling us God cares for the spiritual and physical. Proclaim good news to the poor. To the poor. They are blessed. Now, of course, it's not that poverty saves you. What's implied is that you do need to trust in God in order to be part of this kingdom. But the point is this. God's restorative reign, the coming of His kingdom, His good news, the gospel, is meant to impact the spiritually poor, the physically poor, the spiritually blinded, the physically blinded, the spiritually imprisoned, the physically imprisoned. Do you see how rich this gospel is? It's not just gospel-centered, but gospel-centered. And the beauty of justice is found in this richness that comprises both the spiritual and physical. And so is restorative justice. It's found in it. Right? The gospel is beautiful. And so is restorative justice. Equal treatment, special concern for the vulnerable, generosity. And we do all of this because our God reigns. Because King Jesus reigns. Because of the gospel. Blessings abound wherever He reigns. The prisoners leap to loose their chains. The weary find eternal rest. And all who suffer want, that means lack, are blessed. If you can recognize the beauty in that, you would desire to do justice. That's the gospel. Number two, discover the beauty of justice in the heart of God's love. Now, what does God love? From the Bible, we know that God loves people. He desires the flourishing of communities, of neighborhoods, of societies, of cities, and of the nations. And in His love for people, what does He do? He brings restorative justice. In other words, in God's heart of love for people, we see His love for justice. That's why in Isaiah 61 verse 8, God says this, For I, the Lord, love justice. So explicit. I hate robbery and wrong. Right? I will faithfully give them their recompense. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Now, I don't want you to miss the original context here to understand what it's saying. God is saying here in context, He wants to bless His people. 
which would have originally referred to the Jews. He wants to restore the fortunes of his covenantal people. And you look through Isaiah 61, early on in verse 3, the restoration is described this way. Beautiful headdresses instead of ashes. Oil of gladness instead of mourning. All of that is a picture of a beautiful reversal happening. And then in verse 4, we learn that God calls His people oaks of righteousness. Oaks are trees. It takes time to grow. And God says His people will build up ancient ruins, right? Repairs them. That takes time too. That description helps us to see this beautiful description is not an immediate thing either. There's a slow maturing, a patient reconstruction going on. Slowly but surely, it is happening. And then later on in verse 9, God essentially says that the nations will see what God has done for their descendants, and the nations will conclude that these are the people that the Lord has blessed. You can imagine how incredibly encouraging Isaiah 61 would have been for the Jews. These are gracious words from God. God has a plan for Israel and all the suffering. And by the time we come to Luke chapter 4, in Jesus' reading of Isaiah 61, the Jews in the synagogue were thinking that, great, finally, the time of God's beautiful reversal has come. This is good news. But surprise, 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 the heart of God's love for this beautiful reversal is bigger, deeper, and wider than they could have imagined than the Jews would possibly have imagined. It is not just a Jewish thing. These Jews, after being so exceedingly pleased with what Jesus said that day, they hear Jesus speak some more, and they get so upset, so hopping mad, so infuriated by Jesus, they want to kill Him. Do you know what Jesus said to the Jews in the synagogue that day after His reading of Isaiah 61? Jesus continues. He tells them. He makes mention of two prophets. He says, look at Elijah. Look at Elisha, the two prophets who did the most miracles in the Old Testament when you read the Bible. Look at who they went to. Elijah went to this widow who's a Gentile, not a Jew. And Elisha helped this man called Naaman, the Syrian general, you remember him. A Gentile leper, not a Jew. And Jesus, as the greatest prophet of all, basically is saying, he will be rejected by his people in his own hometown as well. And this good news will eventually go out to the nations. Now, Jews, the Jews in the synagogue were so mad, they couldn't believe it, right? They were like, no, but it's true. You see, Jesus is saying God's restorative reign is not just for the Jews, it goes further than that. This covenant that God wants to establish is not just with ethnic Israel, He's inviting the nations to be in covenant with Him. And look at Agape right now. People from all kinds of nations worshiping God. And not just Agape, across the world. Every tribe, every tongue, every people, every land, red and yellow, black and white, all are precious in His sight. God wants to bring His kingdom reign across the earth. That's why the good news must be proclaimed far and wide. God says, For I, the Lord, love justice. And He calls us to join Him in loving what He loves. Now, the Jews clearly struggle with that among their own people, and also in the way they treat the people who are outsiders. And truth be told, many of us still have the same problem. 
we struggle to love justice too, especially for people who are so unlike us. And do you know why we struggle? Because we don't find justice beautiful the same way God does. We need to see the beauty of justice in the heart of God's love for people, for community, for our city, for the nations. And how do we do that? Ultimately, by beholding Jesus Christ, the servant of the Lord. He didn't just proclaim the good news as though it is an external piece of news that you should hear. No, Jesus himself is the good news. He came to us in love. He took on the fullness of God's wrath, God's retributive justice in order to save us. Now, when you see this Jesus wounded and crushed on the cross for your sins, when you see Him becoming poor, oppressed, bound for your sake, so that you can become rich, so that you can become comforted, so that you can become free, it changes you. When you see the ugliness of the cross becoming so radiantly beautiful, it changes you. When you see that on the cross, you yourself are at the heart of God's love for people. That changes you. To Jesus, you are able to see the beauty of justice that God sees. Our Lord says, I love justice. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, the church is able to say the same too. We too, God. We love justice too. We will repent. We will turn away from injustice or whatever idolatries that block us such that we have become unjust. We'll turn from that to your true justice for you are our God and we are your people. Lastly, discover the beauty of justice in the reality of your life. You know, Isaiah 61, if you look at the text, towards the end, it ends with a personal response to God in the last two verses. In verses 10 to 11, let me just point out two observations. Firstly, there's this man who's talking, and he's a lot of joy for the one. This is the one who has experienced the favor of God. He's very joyful. And he said that he's clothed with the garments of salvation, clothed with the ropes of righteousness. So here the picture is righteousness is given as a gift to the undeserving. And it's so joyful that he describes, it's described like a wedding, the way a bridegroom would dress, the way a bride would dress. And as you can imagine, if you've been to weddings before, it's beautiful. This is a gift from God, praise the Lord, the righteousness that comes to us. But it doesn't stop there. There's a second part, the second thing, and I don't want you to miss this. Verse 11 talks about this grove, this shoots of plant life, products of what is sown and it is sprouting, springing from within. And this is a gift from God as well. Now, this is what it means for us today. If you have come to appreciate what God has lavishly, graciously, generously done for you, undeserving you to save you, to give you hope in the future, you will not stop there. That's part one. There's a second part. Isaiah 61 tells us there's a second part. You necessarily will come. What will happen? The second part tells us the Spirit of Christ is in you, so God will empower you to live out the life that lives out this righteousness, lives out the righteousness of God, the justice of God. And you won't be able to boast when you do that, when you do justice, because it is God Himself doing justice 
in and through you. This is God's work. Praise be to the Lord. At the end of the day, this beauty of justice is not meant to be something that you only appreciate from reading the Bible, not just something that you think conceptually can happen in this world, can be true of this world, but something that you actually experience in the reality of your life. Last week, uh, Dini started this book club for Women of Agape on this particular book entitled Just Mercy, A Story of Justice and Redemption. Now, this is a memoir written by this American lawyer named Brian Stevenson who documented his career as a lawyer for disadvantaged clients. Now, in this wonderful book, there are many memorable quotes, but there's one particular quote that comes from Brian Stevenson's grandmother. Now, grandmothers are not always right, but never underestimate, never underestimate the wisdom of a godly grandmother. Because when they are right, they are super right. As right as it was for Louis, Timothy's grandmother in the Bible, who clearly had a huge spiritual impact on him. So this is what Brian Stevenson's grandmother, grandma had told him when he was a child. And what she said to her grandson is so true. She said to him these words, You can't understand most of the important things in life from a distance, Brian. You have to get close. Close enough to see what the justice issue is so that you can also appreciate the beauty of the solution. In Ezekiel chapter 3, when the Spirit of God came upon Ezekiel and led him on a mission to the Gentiles, sorry, the Jewish exiles, the first thing Ezekiel did was to sit where they were dwelling. Ezekiel sat where they sat. And the text then tells us that Ezekiel sat there, overwhelmed among them, feeling their emotions for seven days. Do you see what the Spirit led him to? In that mission, you can't understand most of the important things in life from a distance, Ezekiel. You have to get close. And he did. That's the first step. Get close. And from that vantage point, the beauty of what God offers becomes evident. This past week, I called four individuals in our church over the phone people whom I know have gotten close enough to the people in need of restorative justice in our society to appreciate its beauty. Now, I know that there are others among you here as well in Agape who are doing justice. Uh, praise the Lord for that. Now, I got connected with this four, and I want to share their stories with you so that all of you can be encouraged that beyond what we plan at the big church level, our people are doing justice on their own, on the ground. Imagine God working in and through every member of our church, where He has placed us, where our burdens lie, and where our skills are, for the flourishing of our community, of our city, and the nations. I call Peiwen, the sister in Christ in our church, who works for SG and Abel. Let me just see again. An agency dedicated to enabling persons with disabilities all kinds of disabilities, 
She told me there are four physical, sensory, intellectual, developmental. She herself helps students from institutes of higher learning, those with disabilities, transit from school to work. So she connects them with companies who are willing to take them on for internship, for mentoring. I asked her what would be most helpful for people when it comes to getting involved. And she said, many people still need to grow in disability awareness. Right? Sometimes we meet them, we're not aware. How do you interact with them? And sometimes we, we're not even aware, cannot even recognize these are people with disabilities because it's not obvious. And there's actually free training, she said, for Singaporeans, PRs, to grow in that awareness. It's free. Right, that's the first step of getting close. And she mentioned that for those in HR positions or even in leadership positions in the companies where you could potentially hire, part of doing justice in our land means being open to the employment of people with disabilities as well. At the end of my conversation with Pei Wen, I asked her what she had learned from doing justice up close like that. And she said that she used to think that if only God would heal all these people of their disabilities, then all their problems would be solved. She says that doing the work up close, she no longer thinks that anymore. She realizes that for many of them, their disability is actually the strength they have. In many, many cases, they work so much harder because of their disabilities. She used to think that all these people could do a lot more if they were just free from disability. But she has seen, for a number of them, they actually have done a lot more because of their disabilities, because of their weaknesses. Peiwen didn't know when we were on the phone. I was just trying to hold back my tears when she said that. Our God always has a plan for weaknesses. Then I called Pastor Tation and I asked him, you all would know about his fostering journey. He and his wife Joyce have fostered a few girls over the past years and they attend our church too. And he spoke about this 100 Homes Fostering Initiative we've mentioned in our church before. This is started by Love Singapore. And the aim is actually for approximately 600 children, think about that, 600 children needing foster care in Singapore, to find homes in Singapore. Coincidentally, there are also about 600 churches in Singapore. So the call is for the church, Christians, to step up to do so. Pastor partners with Home for Good. This is a Christian network in Singapore that promotes and supports fostering and adoption within the Christian communities. He told me there's a tea session once a month. That's one way to get close and find out more. I asked him what he discovered in this journey of doing justice. He says, it's very challenging. <laughs> A lot of suffering. But, he says, it has taught him that God, as our Heavenly Father, loves us in spite of our behavior. Even when we fall short with the behavior He wants for us, He still loves us. I've heard Pastor Tation talk about fostering and adoption so many times. And it's still very moving. It's wonderful to hear how doing justice results in you actually discovering and appreciating God's deep, deep love for you. 
third person I spoke with, Sharmani, previously worked as a social worker. She's taking a short break for the time being, considering further studies. In her line of work, she got really close to those who struggle with low income, the elderly poor, those who suffer emotional, physical abuse, those disadvantaged due to social class. Underneath our glitzy city life, there's a lot of injustice underneath. I asked her why she would want to expose herself to all this messiness, the ugliness of things. It must be hard. It must be messy. And she says it's because of God's compassion. She does what she does because she knows God feels for them. In her role, she sees systemic problems. It's beyond the personal. Systemic problems. And she uses her position to advocate for them. Shalmani says, if you want to help, you don't need to think about something so big and daunting that makes you feel like, I can't breathe, man. This is a crushing burden. How am I going to start? No, don't think like that. You can start with something really small within your means. And it's encouraging to do that with others as well, maybe in your cell groups, maybe with other friends. She says, each of us actually has different skills, different gifts. Some can be friends, some can drive, some can cook. Go ahead and serve in ways you can. God has given each of us something. So I asked her practically, practically where, to, where to start? And she gave a few helpful links. She mentioned this one link, giving.sg. This is a one-stop national giving platform to donate, to volunteer, to fundraise for 60 registered nonprofits in Singapore. And then she, passed, she gave me another link, pass it on. She said, a project where you see all kinds of needs and you get to give no longer wanted but useful items to benefit the needy. I went into those sites to take a look and for pass it on, when I looked at it, I said, wow, I didn't know this exists. This is like super helpful. This actually can be a lifestyle. Like you can browse the site and see what needs you can meet in the same way you browse sites and see what things you want to buy. <laughs> you can do that, right, every day. Just say, yeah, let's see who I can help. Maybe on the weekend, I can just go to the house and say, hello, here to bless you. I asked Sharmini what she learned from doing justice the way she does. And she said, loving people, even the undeserving. Serve them even though they cannot give me anything back. Sounds like what Jesus said. She says that sometimes Christians have a tendency to prioritize the spiritual over the physical. She used to think that way too. Like, you know, if you cannot share the gospel with the person, with these people, she used to wonder, is it truly meaningful? She now realizes it still is. It's a great blessing to them. And in many cases, the help rendered actually leads those who receive help to think more about God. In other cases, the work actually teaches us something about our own hearts too. That's what our Father always loves to do. How our identities, she realizes, are pinned even on the good works that we do. Doing justice made her realize the need to even repent of her good deeds. The motivations doing it. It purified her motivations. And it made her realize that God is so patient, so kind. Lastly, I spoke with Thomas Franks, the worship leader just now. Thomas works as a video producer for Salt and Light, a Christian media company from Singapore that produces really edifying content. If you, have, if you don't know it, you could check it out. 
prior to being in salt and light, Thomas has done a lot of videos to highlight stories that deserve our attention, that warrant our help, or stories that celebrate God's grace and goodness. I asked him what motivated him to do what he does. I said, God gave him the skills to help in this area of justice and mercy. And so he does what he does in order to serve not just the church, but the city. He uses his video skills as a way to highlight certain things, make no needs, or show how people are doing good in the city. I was very encouraged when Thomas said, I can't do everything, but I can do something. I can do something. Maybe one video a month, right? Just do something. He said that given the broken world that we live in, it would not be Christ-like to do nothing to just seek our own welfare again and again and never seek the welfare of our city, of the nations. I asked Thomas how he would encourage people thinking about doing justice. He paused for a moment and he says, the rewards far outweigh the cost. The rewards far outweigh the cost. And it's not just thinking about rewards in the future when Christ returns. That's a sure, it's a promise. We're going to be amazed by that. But even the rewards in the present, the joy of serving and blessing people in the spirit of Christ. And he was sharing with me how memorable it is, even for families that serve the poor and needy together. At that point in the phone conversation, I was very deeply struck because in the morning when I was doing my devotions, you know, I've been wrestling in my, my mind as my kids grow older and older. I was thinking, how do I get my two sons to grasp the gospel? Right? I do family worship, I teach them the Bible, I get them to pray and all of that, but I want them to know my God. I don't want, I don't want them to live through this life and not know this God. So I say, God, can you tell me, teach me, how, how do I get my sons to grasp this heartbeat? And when Thomas was talking about the effects on the family, that was a super strong nudging in my heart and the spirit. Like, yes, that's it. That's right, Goliang. That's it. Get your family to do justice Together, they're going to get the gospel better because they're going to see up close God's heartbeat for the poor, the afflicted, the needy. This is our God, gracious and merciful and kind, loving. And at that point, I shared with Thomas my thoughts. I said, hey, this is what God's prompting me. And Thomas said, excitedly, he said, Pastor Giao, actually, the only reason I'm here in Singapore doing ministry is because of my parents how since young I've seen them serving the homeless poor. It's very moving for me, listening to that, very moving. Family, young and old, helping the poor and needy together. Have you thought of bonding that way? Bonding in doing justice and mercy. So beautiful. All in all, I spoke with four different agapians, each one made me convinced that blessed are those who discover the beauty of justice, restorative justice in the reality of their lives. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, here's the truth. You cannot, you can't understand most of the important things in life from a distance. You can't understand restorative justice from a distance. You have to get close. You have to get close. And justice is not just important. It is beautiful. 
these past two Sundays, whatever the Lord has been stirring in your hearts, the Lord knows and you know. In terms of doing justice, even if it's not totally clear yet, I exhort you this very day, obey God and take the very first step. Get close. Trust God. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Thank you for listening to this sermon podcast. You can find more of our sermons online on our website at www.agape.org.sg.